All right, well, Doug, thank you so much for that intro, man. Um, Rahel doesn't get to be here today, but I think I speak for both of us when I say that we have just felt so loved, so honored to be a part of this church and to call this family and this community our home. So thank you guys for loving us so well. We're really excited for the day that we get to bring baby Benaya um, back into this room and, and for you guys to see just how much bigger Rose is. It's ridiculous. Um, can, we, can you guys do me a favor, like, as I get started? So like Doug mentioned, I work for InterVarsity. I'm a campus minister. Something that I do as a part of that is I like to um, kind of send updates to my, my community of support, just to let them know what's going on in my life and that, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm really excited to be here to speak to you guys today, so I was curious, could I just take a selfie with y'all? Yeah. That cool? Yeah, let's do it, okay. Brought my phone for that purpose. Let's do, let's, let's do masks on. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shoot, otherwise I'll get a lot of emails back, like Brandon. <laughs> what, what kind of a turd? Just kidding. Um, all right, all right. I don't know if I'll be able to fit everybody, but I'll get as, much of you, as many of you guys as I possibly can. Maybe give like, give like thumbs up or wave your hands up, anything. All right, ready? Three, two, get a few. Whew, awesome, thank you guys, thank you. All right, let's jump in. So I used to think that I was a peaceful person. My personality kind of lends itself to being very peaceable. I'm, I'm highly non-confrontational and basically a, like a pacifist by nature. And I avoid conflict like you guys are all avoiding filling out your ballots because of the 20-something judges that you have to vote for that you've never heard of and you're deciding whether to attain or not and like, what do you even do with that? By the way, that's a little bit of uh, voting humor, but seriously, go vote. Let me tell you like a story about just how peaceful I am. So I spent the summer of 2010 in Poland. I was living there as, as a short-term missionary, uh, working with an organization called Bread of Life. They do like homeless relief work in, in Poland. And I was sent there with, with two other students who were just a little bit younger than I was, and so naturally they made me the group leader, right? It made a little bit of sense. I had just graduated from college from the University of Arizona. Go Wildcats, bear down. Oh, and I had like literally, like literally just accepted a position as an intern with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, like the ministry that I'm still working for today. I've been working for them for, for 10 years, actually. So anyways, as, as the group leader, I was kind of the go-between between the Americans, us, right, and our Polish host, who was a guy named Tomek. Now, I don't have time to get into all of the specifics, but basically throughout this trip, I had been neglecting several of my leadership responsibilities. Uh, just little things like managing the finances properly and responsibly. <laughs> and about halfway through the trip, I, I start to notice that Tomek, our, our host, right, he's not his usual happy, cheery self. And Tomek, I wish you guys could meet him. He is like one of the most joyful, happy, cheery people that I've ever met in my life. So for him to be like moody and reserved was really, really weird. I started wondering like, oh gosh, is everything okay with Tomek? What's going on? But over and over, I decided to do nothing. I just ignored it. I didn't want to create conflict. But then finally, at some point, my team even brought it up to me. They're like, Brandon, is Tomek okay? He seems a little bit off to us. 
And uh, like a good leader does, I said, yeah, I've noticed that too. And did nothing. <laughs> this went on, I kid you guys not, for like, like a week or two. I, I let that frustration and that resentment bubble up in him until finally, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I, I finally sat down with him one night and, and asked him if anything was wrong. And he just unloaded on me. I was irresponsible. I wasn't taking time to learn the language. We were almost out of money. That the list just, just goes on. And honestly, all of it was true. So he, he finished. Like a good Christian does, I apologized. I asked for forgiveness, right? And then, and this, where, this is where, where my peacemaking like really steps up into high gear. At the end of the conversation, so he had forgiven me, right? But he was still feeling moody. He was still, he wasn't like happy, obviously. We just had this really hard conversation. But in my mind, I'm like, hey man, I just had the hard conversation. Like I held up my end of the deal. Now it's your job to be happy with us again. I, I literally told him some version of that. Like, can't you just be happy with us? After you forgive me, you have to stop feeling angry. I wanted peace. Now, obviously, that's like an embarrassing story, right? And, and I, I used to view that whole trip as, as kind of a leadership failure until I realized that every leadership failure is actually just a success in learning how not to lead people, right? Amen. And so in that sense, the entire trip was a huge leadership success. <laughs> Huge success. I think at some level we all want that kind of peace, right? We all want to live in the absence of conflict. I think that we want that kind of peace on multiple levels. Like in, in relationships, you want your spouse or significant other to stop noticing all the ways that you fall short, to not bring up that tone that you often bring into conversations, and definitely not to notice when you fart while guests are over. Just a little fart humor. I'm a college minister, and uh, in, in my world, those jokes are money. <laughs> At work, right, you, you want your coworkers to like you. You want them to like your work and to just rubber stamp all of your contributions. When we're watching the news and we see angry protesting or rioting, we think that's unacceptable. We're offended by the disruption of peace. Well, we've been in a series the past several months called The Upside Down Message of Jesus, and we're doing a deep dive into the Beatitudes together, right, which are found in Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And I love the way that Pastor Jim describes the Beatitudes. It's like Jesus took all of the things that we see as valuable and all the things that we see as worthless, and he just swapped the price tags on them. Like, might makes right. Jesus says no, because blessed are the meek. The Beatitudes turn all of our usual values on their heads. And I think that the Beatitudes, 2,000 years after they were written, feel just as pressing to us today in 2020 as they did to Jesus' original audience listening to him on the hillside in Judea. Right? If, if America is a Christian nation, as I'm told that we are, it seems like we might have skipped over Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Today in the Beatitudes, we're looking at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. 
Now, something that stands out to me from the passage like right away is that it implies that God is a peacemaker, that God is a God of peace. You see, in, in Jewish culture, it was an honor for a son to grow up and be just like his father. In our culture, we tend to value individuality, but in Jewish culture, they value family legacy. So when we're called children of God by our being peacemakers, Jesus is implying that it's because God is already a God of peace. He's already a peacemaker. Does this make sense? And that that shouldn't surprise any of us, right? Because scripture is filled with references to God as a God of peace. Leviticus 26.6, God says, I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. Judges 6, 24, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people, the Lord blesses his people with peace. Ephesians 2, 14 says that Christ, God, right, that he himself is our peace. God is a God of peace. God is the original, he is the OG peacemaker. And in my story, I thought I was being a peacemaker. Like while I was avoiding conflict, I was trying to uh, make peace by not stirring the pot, by not adding to the tension. And I hope that you guys are seeing pretty clearly like that is not peacemaking in any sense of the word. (laughs) But when I finally sat down to talk to Tomek at least, I was making peace by restoring broken relationship, right? Now, Now that kind of peace, the kind of peace that we tend to want is a peace that is negatively defined. That is that it's a peace which is defined by the absence of. That can be an absence of conflict, an absence of struggle, war, hunger, disease, poverty, oppression, or chaos. And honestly, like, that's okay. That's good. We should want that kind of peace. When I say it's a negative peace, I don't mean it's bad. I simply mean that it's defined by what is absent. The Greek word that's written in Matthew 5 is irene. Irene is defined as a state of national tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war, peace between individuals, and harmony. That's the negative peace, right? And this kind of peace, I'll say it again, it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with desiring this kind of peace, but it isn't complete. And I would argue that negative peace is actually the lesser kind of peace. You see, I would have thought, and I think a lot of you guys might as well, that that God's peace project, his, his project to bring ultimate peace, to be a peacemaker to humanity, that that project began after sin entered the world. And, and if, if negative peace is the only kind of peace, then that kind of makes sense, right? Like in sin, we experience alienation from God, and there's a work that is required to restore what is absent. Now, you'd think that peacemaking is an answer to sin, but what I've come to realize is that peacemaking was God's project from the very beginning, from creation itself. And I know that because there's another word for peace. It's the word that Jesus would have spoken to his followers that day on the hill. And that word that Jesus would have spoken is shalom. Now, the unique thing about shalom, or I'll probably for the rest of this talk just call it God's peace, 
is that it's defined far more by what is present than by what's absent. It's a positive vision of peace, not a negative vision of peace. And let me give you a sample, just a little sample, a glimpse of how shalom is defined. Honestly, it's one of those words that is just expansive. You could spend weeks, months, diving into the concept of shalom, but here's part of the definition. Shalom is completeness, wholeness, soundness, welfare, safety, health, prosperity, tranquility, contentment, even friendship. Like I said, we, we could probably do a whole series just on this word, but for today, I want to suggest just three things about peacemaking that you may never have considered before. And because peacemaking was God's original intent for humanity and not just like a backup plan uh, because of sin, we're going to explore those three things through the lens of Genesis 1 and the creation narrative. So the first thing that we're going to explore about peace is that the aim of peace, the trajectory of peace, is to work toward wholeness. The second is the origin of peacemaking. The origin of peacemaking is creation itself. God's peacemaking project began in creation, and therefore I'm going to say that peacemaking is creative. And then the third is the direction of peacemaking. Peacemaking always moves forward, not backwards. And in that sense, I'm going to say that peacemaking is progressive. Again, peacemaking works toward wholeness, it's creative, and it's progressive. Now, when most Christians think of peace, and it's probably true for a lot of us, like, like when in all of our world's history was God's peace fully present? Like, what comes to your guys' mind? You can actually just shout out answers. Garden of Eden, okay. Yeah, I think that what we tend to think of is Genesis, right? Creation was called good, and, and man and woman walked with God and experienced his, his full, intimate presence up close. Like, what could be more peaceful than that? But the more that I reflected on the definition of shalom as wholeness, as completeness, I started to wonder if Genesis truly reflects a world that is walking in the fullness of God's shalom peace. So to discover and kind of uncover these three elements of peace, we're going to turn to Genesis 1 together because while Genesis doesn't represent the fullness of God's peace, it does give us a glimpse at the beginning of his peacemaking project. So we're going to start off with that first aspect of peacemaking. Peacemaking works toward wholeness. And one note on wholeness as we get started, when I was looking up the, the full definition of shalom, the very first entry said this, completeness, soundness, welfare, peace. So I kind of condensed those four concepts together into the word wholeness. So I'm going to use the word wholeness, but try to keep this picture in mind. Does that make sense? All right, let's turn to Genesis together. So if you've read Genesis 1, you, you kind of know how it goes, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the author describes in this beautifully poetic language the six days of creation. God creates light. He calls it good. God uh, separates the light from the darkness, and he calls that good, and on and on and on. Well, on the sixth day, God creates us. He creates humanity. So that's where we're going to jump into Genesis together, starting in verse 27. It says, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So, is this an image of God's peace? Well, if we define peace uh, simply as the absence of conflict, famine, war, then yes, I would say that creation is at peace. But again, if we think of, as, of peace as wholeness, of, of bringing a thing to its complete created potential, then I have to say no. Now let me illustrate that. So I'm a big mountain biker. I've been mountain biking for like 15 years now. Any other mountain bikers in the room? Yep, we got at least one. Awesome, we got two, sweet. So when I was in college, I was kind of just getting started mountain biking, but um, I had a problem, which is that I was like all the way broke. I had no money. Um, and up until that point, I had been borrowing one of my friend's mountain bikes, but that mountain bike wasn't available to me anymore because I just moved to Tucson and he was still in Phoenix. Now, I'm fairly handy. I got that from my dad. He kind of taught me how to build things and fix things. Um, so rather than buy like an expensive brand new bike, which I had zero money for, I decided to build one. I actually had this like kind of fun chance encounter while I was riding at South Mountain. I, I met a dude, um, just like a you know, wrinkly old guy who's clearly been on the trails his entire life. Um, I told him my story and how I didn't have a bike yet, and he goes, hey, do you want to um, come over to my house and I can sell you like a box of, of bike parts? <laughs> Tell you what, I'll, I'll give you the box for 75 bucks. So I get to his house, and like, I kid you not, guys, the box of parts is like 75% of a working mountain bike. <laughs> so for 75 bucks, I got basically a mountain bike. It was a steal. So, like God in his creation, I started building my mountain bike. And it was good. <laughs> I bought the extra parts that I needed. I, I sanded down the frame by hand. Uh, I painted it. I painstakingly put all of the different pieces together. And by the end, honestly, this thing, it, it, it was kind of a Frankenstein bike. But you know what? It was my Frankenstein bike. Now, at the moment that I finished building this bike, has it reached the fullness of its created potential? Like, what if at the moment that I finished, the moment that I was done building the bike, I just said, it is finished, and then I stuck it in my garage, never to ride it again? It'd be a waste, right? A bike is made to ride. In the biblical sense, my bike isn't experiencing God's shalom peace because it hasn't fulfilled yet its creative purpose. It hasn't reached fulfillment, completion, wholeness. Is this starting to make sense? Good. And as it turned out in, in my story, apparently its creative purpose was actually for someone else to enjoy it because literally a week after I finished building it, it got stolen. I know. I wrote a beautiful uh, poetic eulogy to it. You'll have to check it out on my Facebook page sometime. It's, it's really great. Uh, I know, so sad. So Genesis 1 is not an image of God's peace reaching its fulfillness. It's called the beginning for a reason, right? Like Genesis, the garden, it represents creative potential. And from the beginning, God made it very clear that we, that humans, are his partners in bringing creation to wholeness and completion. Now, this shouldn't be very surprising for us because isn't this just how God has always worked? Whether it's Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, Isaiah, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, God has always 
invited people to partner with him in his creative and redemptive purposes. Well, that trajectory began in Genesis. Remember, like we saw in the passage, right in the middle of the creation narrative, God gives us the work to be fruitful, to fill, and to subdue the earth. Now that work, that work of being fruitful, of filling, and of subduing the earth is the work of bringing creation toward wholeness. On, on that same topic, there's a German, philosopher, or German theologian named Jürgen Moltmann, awesome name, by the way. Uh, he, he says it this way, Genesis recognizes that creation was the beginning of a project, not the end of one. And the end, the trajectory of that project is toward wholeness, God's peace. Uh, doctor and lay minister Landa Tukto, and I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit, but, but he basically describes that wholeness as every part of creation existing in perfect relationship with every other part and with creator God. At this point, you might be wondering, okay, so God originally intended us to partner with him in working toward wholeness, but what about sin? Right, like doesn't sin kind of change that plan? Well, sin does introduce alienation, distortion, and damage. The presence of sin means that a work of reconciliation, of healing and restoration would be required, but it didn't change the essential goal that God had of bringing us, our whole world, all of creation, toward wholeness, right? Because we know that like, repairing damage isn't the same as bringing something into its wholeness, into completion. It's not enough to crawl out of a valley if your goal is to climb a mountain. This is not to say that, like, that Jesus' gift to us is insufficient, far from it, actually. Jesus' ransom gives us the gift of right relationship with God. But notice that the second that we give our lives to Christ, we don't just teleport to the Father. We live out of that right relationship, out of that gift, to partner with Creator and bringing wholeness to ourselves and bringing wholeness to the world around us. Okay, so peacemaking works toward wholeness, but what does this look like? What does it look like? Honestly, I think in Christian circles, we've been so um, attached and committed to the negative version of peace, it's almost hard to come up with examples. And peacemaking as wholeness making, in this sense, I don't think it always will feel entirely spiritual. Peacemaking can mean helping your friend, your spouse, your significant other to know more and more of who they truly are. It means affirming their gifts, healing them, um, or helping them push toward that thing that they're passionate about, but they're not sure that they're ready for. It can mean sitting down to practice that instrument that you've always wanted to learn, but just never made time for. It can mean going on hikes to explore and intimately know God's beauty of creation. It's, it's finally going to therapy and working on that negative belief that keeps holding you back. It's receiving prayer on Sunday mornings, even when it feels uncomfortable, or maybe offering to give prayer to someone else. It's taking time to sit in silence with God and just experience, just be with our Creator. It means learning to listen to God's voice so that we can allow Him to define us and to speak his love and his identity over us. Anytime that we are helping ourselves or others, the world around us, move toward wholeness, become more whole, we are peacemaking. 
One more thing about peacemaking is wholeness. If peacemaking means making people whole, complete, able to flourish, then there may be times for the sake of God's peace when the negative peace has to be disturbed, right? If you guys remember from my story with Tomek, I had to press into that conflict before we could truly be at peace. So John Lewis, right, the the civil rights leader and long-term congressman, he actually had a word for intentionally disturbing the peace for the ultimate goal of bringing wholeness. He called it good trouble. In the 1960s, if, if black men and women wanted to move toward wholeness, then they had to disturb what we called earlier the easy absence of conflict by organizing boycotts, sit-ins, marches, and it made many, probably most, white people really angry. White folks, even the ones who may have generally agreed with their goals, thought, yeah, but that isn't how you should go about it. While remaining comfortably and very um, completely on the sidelines. If it were 2020, they'd be the people just tweeting about it, right? I think that today we find ourselves in a really similar situation with honestly and regrettably predictable responses. People marching and protesting to demand equality and justice and many people just upset that the marching and the protesting disturbs the peace. Dr. King King himself even called writing the language of the unheard. Now, I'm not going to label what rioters are doing as peacemaking, but to write off their pain, their frustration, their deep grief and anger as senseless writing while doing nothing to bring real wholeness, real dignity, real equality, I believe that is the greater assault on God's shalom, peace. What would it look like for us, for hope, to support the work toward racial justice in our community, in our nation? First aspect of peacemaking is that it works toward wholeness. The second aspect is that peacemaking is creative. And when I say creative, I mean that it's, it comes from and it's an extension of creation itself. So we just learned that Genesis marks the beginning, right? Not the end of God's creative project. And we get to partner with God to bring his wholeness to the world. Remember that we we saw that in the invitations to be fruitful, to fill, and subdue. And the very act of bringing things toward wholeness and completion is peacemaking. Now notice, this is really important, right? That our task to be fruitful to fill, to subdue, that is all in the context of God's creation narrative. It isn't too much to say that these are invitations to continue in God's creative work. And those invitations were basically the exclamation mark of the creation story. It was God's joy to hand creation to us and say, yes, now continue in my work. God gives us agency to continue and even influence creation. Another example of this from Genesis later on, actually, is that God gives humans the task of naming the animals, right? Humans got to use their creative capacity to bring that aspect of creation just one step closer to completion, to wholeness. 
God's peace is generative, it acts, it speaks, it brings into reality that which is not yet there or has not yet been fully realized, and God's creative work wasn't done after Genesis 1. Right? I mean, Doug loves telling us that in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Even God is still continuing his creative work through Christ, Well, out of that work that God does of creating a new identity in us, we are invited to join God in doing that work in others. Friends, our our identity is not as sinners in the hands of an angry God. If you've been told that, it simply isn't true. Our identity in Christ means that we are not separated from God. We aren't like saved, but only barely We are image bearers. We are marred by sin, but we are fully redeemed and recreated by the very power that created life itself. We are are partners and co-creators with God, who, like he says in Ephesians 1.10, is bringing all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth, with Christ as the head. We are called to create alongside God by bringing his restoration, his reconciliation, and his wholeness to the world around us. When we love others, when we help people know the love of God, when we create joy where there is uh, mourning, where we create beauty, where there is ashes, even when we just create beauty for the sake of beauty, we aren't doing that to like dig ourselves out of a hole, to, to make up for past sins or something, right? We are creationing. If I can make up that word, we are creationing alongside God and in the authority of Jesus Christ. We're bringing creation toward wholeness because, friends, peacemaking is creative. It's continuing God's creative work. Peacemaking works toward wholeness. Peacemaking is creative. And third, peacemaking is progressive. Now, it might sound like I'm trying to get political here and I promise I'm not. When I say progressive, I mean it in the sense that God's peace is about forward and not backward movement. Like, case in point, God's goal for us is not to get us back to the garden. It just isn't. Like, in fact, the Bible's imagery for a renewed creation when all is made right, when God's kingdom has come in its completion and fullness, that imagery is not of a garden. Revelation says that that image is of a city, We move from a garden representing potential. It's wild, it's teeming, it's good, but it's incomplete toward a city filled, subdued, healed, brought toward wholeness. Peace is forward momentum, never backwards. We aren't doing God any favors when we aim only to conserve, to preserve, or to go back to the good old days, however we define those good old days. If you find yourself stuck in the past, either personally, like, oh man, life was just so much easier, so much better, so much simpler back then, or or, or even communally, like, oh, there there used to be a time when, fill in your blank. And if I'm honest, guys, like, I get stuck here sometimes. I remember days when I was more carefree. I remember remember days when when my knees worked better, um, when, when relationships felt simpler. And sometimes I find myself longing for those days but it's a trap. God's best for us never lies behind. It always lies ahead. 
And if you, like me, find yourself longing for the past, I really believe that Isaiah uh, 4319 is God's constant promise to humanity. It says, look, I am doing a new thing. Our Lord is always doing a new thing. Now, peacemaking being progressive doesn't mean that we don't look back. It doesn't even mean that we can't include what came before. It just means that we aren't trying to go backwards. Jesus actually makes this point about including the past later in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because even though Jesus came to establish, to proclaim a new covenant with humanity, he says unequivocally, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, the old covenant, until everything is accomplished. As followers of Jesus, we include and we transform. You know where this is actually really obvious is, is in sin. I've met people who have been through some really, really hard things in their life. People who have burned every single bridge, who have walked uh, down every dead end and gave in to every sin. But you know what? After finding Christ, I hear this story over and over and over again. They say, I would change nothing. Because didn't God include the pain? He includes the sin, the heartache, the brokenness as part of the transformation. Their journey isn't one backwards, it's one forwards with God where the old is included. Here at Hope, we like to say that that we're a church where no perfect people are allowed. So I actually think that we already get this as a community. God's peace is always a path forward and we get to include what came before. However, Sometimes the inclusion does require some discernment, right? Like Jesus reinterpreted Sabbath laws. Jesus touched the unclean. He included women in his ministry. We here at Hope, we include women in ministry. The covenant denomination includes women in ministry. Jesus didn't just do things the way that they had always been done. To be progressive means that we are unafraid to imagine new possibilities with God. Friends, if we are joining God in peacemaking and bringing all things to God's wholeness, why would, be, why would we be afraid of getting creative, of imagining what could be? God gave us amazing and creative minds and he invites us to use those to their full potential. So a quick example here, um, I think a lot of us feel this way, but I know that I do. I am very tired of our two-party political system, and, and even our really shallow debates about it, right? We like to say, well, neither party fully represents the kingdom of God. Like, really? <laughs> Guys, there are hundreds of denominations of Christianity, none of which fully embody the kingdom of God, none of which perfectly embody the kingdom of God, and we expect that from a political party? And the saddest thing to me about that two-party system is that it kills creativity, and it kills our capacity to imagine other possibilities. You may have a different view of politics than me, and that is totally fine, but I believe that politics has the capacity to do a lot of good or to do a lot of harm. Politics are one part. They're not the most important part, but they are one part of how we can create a society that provides the opportunity for people to journey toward wholeness. Let me unpack that more. It's hard to reach true wholeness when you have to work two or more jobs just to put food on the table. 
It's hard to reach wholeness when you fear for your life because you are pulled over for having a broken taillight. It's hard to reach wholeness when you know that your body isn't well, but you're afraid to reach out to a doctor or address it because you couldn't afford the treatment anyways. Hear me well, guys, I'm not trying to take political sides here. Each of those problems that I just highlighted have existed under both political parties here in the US. But as Christians, as the body of Christ, can we dare, can we dare to imagine a better world together? Even a better political arrangement. Can we work toward that vision rather than resigning ourselves to the belief that it's just always going to be like that or that it can never change? Worship team, could you guys come up? When peacemaking is progressive, we can dare. When peacemaking is progressive, we can look forward to new possibilities. We can even try new and untested methods. We become innovators. We become inventors alongside God. In fact, the project that Doug just talked about, um, we talked about it last week and we hit it again in the announcements today, the peace at the polls, that is an example of peacemaking being progressive. I think all of us can agree, no matter on your political party, <laughs> that this has been a fraught election season, right? Emotions are high. People are angry. There's division. I'm not that old, but I have the sense that there is more tension, more anxiety, more division in our country than there's been in a very long time. Rather than just accepting that reality, we at Hope have decided that we can actively create and even be a presence of peace at election sites. Now, peacemaking means, right, that we can try new things, that, that we can be innovative, uh, We've never done this before. We haven't tried it. Who knows? It could flop. But one thing I know for sure is that we'll be able to say at the end of all this madness that we tried to spread peace, that we took a stand on peace. We were there. We weren't just floating down the lazy river of there's just too much hate, there's just too much division. What, what can I do? We'll have done what we could to spread peace in our little corner of creation to bring a little bit more wholeness to our neighbors, to do the miraculous act of creation alongside a God who breathed life into all of us. Friends, can we choose this path together? I'll remind you guys that if you want to sign up for that, the email address was info at hopecov.com. Uh, please reach out if, if you feel called to be a part of that because that is an opportunity to be God's shalom peace to this world, to bring more wholeness. I'm going to leave us with a question as we close. And the question is this. Where is God inviting you to be creative in bringing wholeness to yourself or the people around you this week? And here's what we're going to do. I mentioned actually with when I was talking about wholeness that, that one uh, way that we can move toward wholeness is learning to hear from God, learning to hear God's voice, Right? I'm just going to give us about 30 to 45 seconds to sit in this question and allow God to speak to us. So would you do this? It might feel awkward, but just close your eyes. Get in a comfortable position. You could even hold out your hands in a posture of receiving from the Lord. God, where are you inviting me to be creative and bringing wholeness 
to myself or the people around me this week. Take a moment to hear from the Lord. Peacemaking works toward wholeness. Peacemaking is creative. Peacemaking is progressive. We could just settle for the negative peace, right? We could just settle for the absence of conflict. But we'd be missing out on joining alongside God as co-creators, working to bring healing and wholeness to a world that longs to be reconciled and to be made whole. And this is what it means to be a peacemaker. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the ways that you are speaking to us right now. Thank you for the words that you just spoke. What a gift it is that the creator of the universe desires community, relationship, conversation with us. Lord, would you help us to be a people, a community, a church that's willing to imagine new possibilities together and work toward those. To see spaces that that either lack wholeness in some way and and offer all of the resources that we can to, to bring your wholeness, to bring um, new life into those spaces or even find places that, um, that, that we can build, that we can, that we can um, enhance wholeness, that we can enhance beauty, that we can enhance creation. Thank you, Jesus, for the ways that you invite us to partner with you in a peacemaking project of creation. That is mind-blowing to me, Lord that you created humanity not just to hang out with you in the garden, but to continue in your work of bringing shalom, wholeness to the world. Lord, as as we worship you together, as as we cry out to you together, would you fill us with with that wholeness, with with maybe just one extra measure of it right now. And would you help us to look for opportunities, to look for ways that we can bring that wholeness to others around us. We pray these things in your name, God. Amen.